Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. It's Ben here. I'm delighted to be joined by Mark Fenton. Mark is the CEO and founder of Massive Consulting Limited. Hi, Mark. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Ben. How are you doing? I'm well, I'm well. We're in the same city. That's a nice uh, nice way to be. Yeah, it is. And it's a beautiful sunny day in, in Dublin. It is. It's a glorious place. Mark, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your background and and then we can get into actually what your business does. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I founded um, Massive Consulting back in 2016. And what we do is we focus on offering advice and training and programs and initiatives to organizations big and small in Ireland and UK and Europe. And we focus on the power of diversity and inclusion. And what I mean by that is, is about getting organizations to realize that the more difference and the more perspectives and the more ideas and the more back, different backgrounds and skills they have, and the more that they listen to all these different backgrounds and skills and ideas, the more innovative and creative organizations can be, but also the more enjoyable it is and more engaging it is to work in those organizations. Yeah. And I think uh, it's critical nowadays because there's such a pressure coming from uh, the talent who are expecting and demanding us a certain way of working together. There's a pressure from clients to be more um, uh, representative and, and, and diverse and inclusive. There's a pressure from regulation to uh, deal with gender pay gap and other issues. Uh, there's a pressure from other competitors who are looking to find ways to be more innovative and communicative and competitive. So basically, there's a perfect storm on, on, on businesses. And this is a way, diversity and inclusion, if managed correctly, is a way to try and uh, deal with these key challenges of talent, clients, and, and competitors. Yeah. And so that's what we do. And I suppose my background drives the way I do it. So I actually trained as a chartered accountant many, many years ago with PwC in Dublin. And then I moved to London and spent um, nine years in London working in financial services uh, in the city, doing a variety of sort of risk and compliance roles. Um, but then I shifted uh, to work in Paris for a large insurance organization called AXA. And there, there I had a completely different role where I was working directly for the, um, for the chairman and doing a lot of different reorganizations and restructurings and new ideas. Mm. And basically, after having spent 10 years of being very structured um, in my life and very finance-focused, I then spent the next few years being much more unstructured and much more people-focused. And I found that the unstructured, people-focused stuff was more interesting to me. And what I realized that is, is that organizations very simply are made up of people. And if the people don't work, if the people don't communicate, and if the people don't uh, um, innovate together, then the businesses don't exist. And so I became less interested in, in the products and services and much more interested in, in the people. And that led me ultimately then to, to manage diversity and inclusion for the exit group, 
uh, which is a large organization across 60 odd countries. Yeah. And then um, after doing that a couple of years, I said, well, you know what? I, I can do this um, for many companies. So why not, uh, why, why not set up on my own? And so with that sort of finance structured background um, and that specific diversity and inclusion experience, I then set up Massive Consulting. And so the final point is my approach to this is very much from a business perspective. People look at this topic as HR or learning and development or just a soft, nice to have. I don't. I look at this as a business strategy mm. and a way to to achieve bottom line success and to deal with those challenges I talked about. Absolutely. And more than just avoiding groupthink, and there's employee attraction, retention benefits, which have ROI benefits, of course, but better products, better services for clients and customers for any business. So it's hugely important, as well as being just a flat out necessity for a normal operating society. So I love it. Axe is a huge corporation and you had a big role in there. Did you take a long time to make that switch to set up your own business or did you go, right, this is it. And the next day you walk out, how did you make that transition? Well, it's funny because I think my brother had, has his own business for many, many years. My brother-in-law has his own business. My sister-in-law has his <laughs> own business. So I suppose there was a little bit of a sort of a innate genetic um, <laughs> itch in me. But I, I was, um, I think, smart enough to realize that I, I wasn't mature enough or knowledgeable enough to set up my own business at the age of, you know, 44 or 24 but I was at the age of 44. And, and that um, I had always wanted to maybe do something a little bit for myself. And also an opportunity I'd spent many, many years, about 17 years away from Ireland. Yeah. And a lot of them commuting as well. So I had a young family in, in, in Dublin and that was a, that was a strain. Tiring. Yeah. But I, I think there was part of me wanting to do something for myself, but part of me realizing that, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't going to be the Collison brothers. I didn't have that amazing idea as, as a youngster but i just thought um after picking up this corporate experience that i could then uh, could then apply it and and it's been the best thing i ever did you know it it wasn't that it was one day i decided to walk out but once i once i'd made the decision that this would be what i wanted to do and actually it coincided i think with you know there's there's a societal and 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 more meta level push towards diversity and inclusion as well. If you look at Ireland, I was outside Ireland, um, living outside Ireland when the marriage referendum um, oh. went through. And I think people in Ireland themselves didn't realize the impact that had globally. Really? People were looking at Ireland going, this is fantastic. This is, you know, what would have been uh, perhaps not a very progressive state for many decades. Mm. was now showing the world how progressive and open and inclusive it can be. And that had a profound effect on Irish people outside Ireland. And I think that we, there was a real sense of, wow, this is great. Yeah. And now is the time to, to you know, I suppose the time was right to start talking about these, these things that, that I had known were true in that the benefit of diversity and inclusion, the benefit of communication, the benefit of collaboration. Because I felt that that marriage referendum was a real turning point in, in societal cognizance, if you like, of our own biases, of our own, our own challenges, but how basically um, difference is the difference that makes the difference and we all should embrace difference and we all should just work together. So there was a mixture of the practical, the corporate and the societal. 
Brilliant. So when you did make the move across to your own business, who were your first few clients? Or not by name, but what kind of businesses were they and what kind of services were you providing at that stage? Well, it was interesting. I mean, in terms of services, um, what I was providing was a little bit of learning from what I'd done inside the corporate. So there was some uh, learning solutions, some training courses, you know, inclusive, inclusive leadership and conscious bias, that type of thing. Yeah. But also more from a strategy point of view, you know, how to build a business case, how to design a strategy, how to, how to make this, you know, make sense and to talk the language of business. Uh, because a lot of this um, diversity and inclusion uh, conversation, uh, as I said, isn't done necessarily with a business angle. And I myself, you know, because I'm a, a white, middle-aged um, chartered accountant, you know, I was very much the kind of the epitome of, of, of the... Uh, of the issues, but also the epitome of, of a lot of the people I had to get through to. Sure. So, so that was what I was thinking about doing. It was interesting in terms of, of, of the type of businesses I worked with because I'd spent 20 years or more in financial services in big organizations, AXA, UBS, um, Schroeder's, Rothschild's, PwC, and so on. Mm. So I thought, they are my bankers. I'm going to be perfect for the big companies. I don't know how I'm going to deal with non-financial services. I don't know how I'm going to deal with um, smaller businesses. But the opposite was the case. When I started to talk to people, some of the larger organizations either, you know, frankly, had, had their own people um, and had their own ideas and so didn't want to, to have an external voice. Mm -hmm. Or in fact, the, the larger organizations can often be the most uh, in, inhibited to change. Mm -hmm. And um, the smaller organizations, in fact, the first piece of paid work I did was was um, doing unconscious bias training for an executive recruitment firm here in Ireland, a uh, very high-profile one. And because they recognised very very clearly that if they're going to be advertise, if they're going to be supporting a, a client and trying to get them the best candidate, they themselves need to be aware of what biases they might have. Sure. That they would pass on to their client. And so, my first. Uh, client was a small small business and then I had the opportunity to to do some work on International Women's Day in 2017 with um, with a banking organization here in Ireland yeah. and then uh, and, and as, as lots of small businesses will have these kind of stories I happened to sit on a panel with um, the director general of RTE D Forbes and after the event, she was getting a taxi into town to do something else. And I was meant to be going the complete opposite direction. <laughs> and I said, no, this is never going to never gonna <laughs> have a chance again. So I said, oh, yeah, of course I'm going into town. <laughs> Can we share a cab? So I, I had 15 minutes of a captive audience. Wow. And by the end of that cab um, uh, journey, uh, I had built a relationship with RTE and I did a, a huge amount of work with them. Um, in, in in 2018 and and, and beyond, and so it's sort of sometimes it's the clients you think you're going to get are not the ones you do get. Mm. Sometimes it's just circumstance and luck that gets you into into other ones, and and so there I I I'd suddenly covered recruitment, banking, and media, um, and, and that sort of made me realise that what I'm talking about here isn't specific to any sector, any industry any size, any type of individual, any location. The messages I'm talking about um, are universal because they're basic common sense. 
Yeah. And so that gave me a lot of hope then about being able to build a, a diverse client base, which I've managed to do. How have the services that you have offered, how have they evolved over time? Well, I, I think um, despite the fact that, you know, with the marriage referendum and, and other societal changes in Ireland or, or, or worldwide, there's, there's a growing um, consciousness and, and cognizance around bias and around diversity and around globalization. I still think that a lot of organizations need very basic uh, training and awareness. And so a lot of what I do is still um, really just understanding unconscious bias and what it is and where it comes from and why are we all biased and, and what impact does it have on our decision making and, and most importantly, what can we do about it? So I think that that need hasn't moved or gone away. Um, so there is still a lot of that, and I still I still enjoy doing a lot of that um, around the world, and and that's extended to the more advanced conversations around inclusive leadership and this sort of thing. But they're all based around based around that that, that common the common foundation. Well, what I have found is that organisations that want to go to the next level, um, there are there are two stages. Either they they have a strategy and they're looking for some initiatives that can really make a difference. And there's a couple of those I can talk about. Yeah. Or they don't have the idea of how to get a strategy in the first place. And so the other two elements, apart from the, the learning and the training, is I've developed this sort of model of how organizations can, can build a strategy around diversity and inclusion mm. and connect it to their business strategy, connected to their goals, connected to the groups inside the organization and so on. So there's that strategy development work, which I would do with senior senior teams. Um, and then the, the, the third element is, okay, we have done basic uh, looking at ourselves and understanding ourselves and build our emotional intelligence. We have a basic strategy. But what are the initiatives that are really going to make a difference? And there um, I developed a couple um, for European clients around talent sponsorship and around smart working they're, they're two of the ways when you look at organizations and you look at um, what what employees are feeding back to their managers yeah what they're feeding back is um listen i don't want to work the way you worked i want to work differently so that's all around smart working and i want to be recognized and i want to be supported and i want to be developed and I want to get exposure in the organization and that sponsorship. And they're the two things, two key initiatives that I think are driving it. So I've gone from just, you know, focus on basic training to basic plus advanced training, but then the strategy and the initiative side. Mm. I'm curious, you mentioned model. Do you actually have a model that you have named or that you use, or is that just a phrase that we're discussing now? Well, I have no, I mean, my, my uh, training has been trademarked. Um, so okay. I have, I, I have, um, unconscious bias training and, and what it's called is it's called catch it call it change it and the principle behind that is that we first need to be able to recognize bias in ourselves or in others we need to catch it and we need to recognize the impact it can have on our decision making or on, on people's performance but often we don't take the second step which is not not just recognizing it but doing something about it calling it out calling it out on ourselves or calling it out on others and only after we catch it and call it, have we have any realistic expectation that we can change it, our behavior, or other, other's behavior. So the catch and call it, change it is the mantra 
and it's the trademarked uh, element of the, of the sort of bias that. That's one that. Yeah. Um, why did you trademark it? Why? Yeah. I just I, I just liked it, and I didn't want people to be. I found it being quoted uh -huh. um, by other individuals, and you know, it's interesting. You know, when you run your own business, you have to be quite smart around your your intellectual property. Mm. And um, like any business, it's 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 competitive. And if you have come up with something that that's proven successful and memorable and and pithy like that is, mm. you want to protect it. I think that's, yeah. that's only, only fair. And then there are other models when it comes to strategy development. It's a five G model, I call it, uh, which is about you go to different steps around governance around goals, around groupthink, around groups inside the organization, and then around your genres of focus. And that's kind of just to set the, the guide rails for, for how people think. And the third model I've developed um, is an extension of what I was doing when I was with AXA, which is around smart working and around an agility model and the sort of five stages of, of smart working. And you, so you set that, you get that to an organization, you say, okay, um, if the following exists, then you are stage one or stage two. If you want to be stage four, this is what this is what this should look like, and so it gives organisations a, a roadmap for change. Something I've done with a, a number of large organisations. So, so yeah, um, I, I think it's important to have some specific uh, uh, models and mm -hmm. and protect your intellectual property because at the end of the day, I'm trying to help organisations gain differentiated advantage. I'm trying to get them to be different to be the employer of choice or whatever mm. but i myself obviously have to be differentiated against other suppliers out there yeah yeah i think it's a really powerful way to do it to have a, a model i imagine that it's uh, it's useful when talking to a potential new client because you can talk them through a couple of the models that you would potentially help them implement would that be true Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, obviously, using social media and, and having it on your website is important. I'm not very um, tech savvy. And so <laughs> I was, um, I met this fantastic lady um, who basically, her job was to kick me up the backside when it came <laughs> to develop my website and, and develop what she called marketing assets. Yes. In other words, you know, little things that people go, oh, yeah, that's you've got this munch and learn session that's really interesting. You've got catch and call exchange and that's really interesting. That's a marketing asset that you can, as you say, um, present to a client as, as a way to differentiate yourself from, from, from others. Brilliant. So with her help, um, she, she, she helped me then structure the, the, the website on that regard. Uh, and it looks great, by the way, and I'm going to call, call it out at the end anyway, but uh, massive.ie, M-A-S-F.ie, but the links are in the show notes. Can you tell me about the munch and learn? I'm dying to ask about them. Yeah, again, I just, I spent 20 years or more in, in organizations and going to training programs and training courses, as I'm sure a lot of the listeners do or have done. Yep. And I find that a lot of them didn't have much of an impact on me. And some of those was, I think, basic uh, logistics. First of all, trying to start something early in the morning and going on until seven o'clock at night. Mm. Um, you know, anytime I do a training, I, I make sure I finish you know, at 4.45 at the latest, because otherwise you have a mutiny. In fact, most of the the training I offer is between one hour and four hours and never more. I think that people don't have the ability to really uh, stay focused. I want to stay focused for an entire day, let alone a three-day program or a five-day program. So, so 
one of the reasons was was I wanted to develop something that was a short, sharp shock to get people also because it's a way to you engage, you can engage like in a town hall session, let's say. The idea behind these Munch and Learns was that it isn't a workshop with a bunch of execs in the boardroom. This is very much an open, um, inclusive, um, interactive town hall. And you can have 100, 500 people. And in the space of a, a short period of time, um, you can get them, you can give them, you know, some key messages and some key takeaways. Yeah. But you realize that you tap into psychology and you say, well, you've got to incentivize people to turn up. And so you incentivize people to turn up by making it the right time of day that suits them, making it short and giving food. <laughs> so basically what I decided was, you know, it, it was munch and learn. So basically you either do it first thing in the morning and give people coffee and croissant or whatever, yeah. or you do it at their lunch break, or you do it, you know, in sort of 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon and, and, and offer them a little bit of a, uh, of, of a nibble afterwards. So that people can, people can say, oh yeah, well, I can, there's a social element to this. Yep. And, and because it's not that diversity and inclusion isn't a serious topic, it is, it's a business strategy, but you can still have a bit of fun while doing it. And I think if you are inclusive about inclusion or diverse about diversity, you can find <laughs> new ways to, 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 to discuss these topics. Um, then, then it works, and so how they so, so that's that's exactly how they, how they work. And depending on the organisation, they might want to do that at first thing in the morning, they might lunchtime or, or late afternoon, and literally people munch and learn. There's also a little bit of um, neuroscience behind this as well, and mm-hmm. um, in that there's there's something called the, the haptic sensation and haptic learning, which is when um, it's like when I do a workshop, I always have toys things uh, for people to play with in the room. Yeah. And it's the same way if you are if you are munching on something or you're you're playing with a little toy, your brain is better at focusing and can actually hear and digest information more effectively. So there's a fun element to it, there's a practical element to it, but there's also a a neuroscientific element to it as well. That's very clever. And on the business development side of things. I think it's such a clever approach for any other business in any area of the HR industry to consider because it could be an entry into a a new client organization, very short, sharp session full of fun and learning and so on. But it's also an opportunity to, I don't want to say sell your wares, but to demonstrate the impact that you could have if you were in there for longer doing other things. Absolutely. And what I found is that um, when you, you know, and, Sometimes I offer these as, as, you know, sort of complementary inroads into a new organization or, or, or not. It depends on the situation. Mm. Um, but certainly when I was starting out, I did. And I advertised it as, you know, I've, I've got five munch and learns that are free sessions. You know, get them booked out quickly before they go. And Hello. use a bit of sort of, you know, marketing technique around yeah. with the website and stuff. Um, but what I find is that if, you, if it's done well... What you have is an audience that's very, very diverse across the firm. So you might have people who are HR, who are marketing, who are finance, who are IT, or whatever, who are there. And all those people, if they get something out of it, are going to talk about it to their manager. Absolutely. And so you've suddenly basically done a pitch (laughs) to the whole organization. Rather than going in and just 
doing a pitch to the HR director or the head of learning and development or whatever it might be. Because depending on the organization, that HR director of learning and development may not have that level of exposure or uh, ability to sponsor you across the organization. Yeah. So, 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 so I found, I found it, it's, 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 it's fun, it's effective, and it can be smart from a business development point of view. Definitely. And to add to that point about um, people going and, and speaking to the HR director or whomever, you can go and pitch to a person and sell your services, offer your services, but then there'll be other companies or consulting firms offering their services too. But when you've got all these other people doing the pitching for you, you've got it one. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing I've learned over the last two years um, sort of running this business is that there isn't one pitch. Yeah. And even if I condense in, you know, my, my sort of my 15 second elevator pitch of what we do and, and, and how it works, I still find that I talk in different ways to different people. So for example, I mean, if I'm talking to the head of an organization, uh, I might be talking very much around his or her legacy, uh-huh. uh, brand of the firm, you know, um, the, the fact that their competitors are doing something and you know they're going to get left behind or maybe they could have a jump start on their competitor that sort of thing yeah i'm talking to um the finance person i could be saying you know what a lot of this can actually lead to very very significant financial savings because when you reduce your talent turnover your talent acquisition costs go down when you increase the use of smart working perhaps your your uh, office footprint goes down and your rental goes down and and you, when you have more engaged employees, your absenteeism goes down and so on. So there's all sorts of financial benefits. If I'm talking to a, a salesperson, I might be sort of saying, you know what, um, the most effective sales teams are the teams that are diverse and, and inclusive. And so if you want to maximize your own personal sales bonus, you should have a diverse team because they're going to make more money for you. Or if I'm talking to a risk person, I might be talking about how awareness of, of, of ourselves and how we think and, and the impact of bias on decision-making makes us more, makes us better at making business decisions and, and less likely to get involved in group thinking and all of that. So you kind of, <laughs> it's all the same foundation, but depending on who's in front of me, you pivot that pitch. And I think um, that's an important learning for me is that there isn't just one way to sell whatever it is you do. It really depends on who's in front of you. Yeah. And if you're listening to this episode, make sure you go and rewind the last few minutes because this is absolute gold. Sales experts forget this part. So Mark, that's, that's absolutely genius. So I love that. I love that. Before I let you go, I just want to ask one more thing about actual business development side of things. Do you ever go and approach companies cold as opposed to people referring in? Have you ever done that? And if so, how did you approach it? Because you can offer so many different services and you don't necessarily know what they might need. Yeah. I mean, so when I started... You know, I said I'd spent most of the last two decades outside of Ireland. And yeah. I realized, you know, I was first starting to try and build a business in Ireland. I've now expanded it to the UK and Europe. But initially, I was just trying to get Irish clients. Mm-hmm. And for those of, for those of you who, who, who work in Ireland or know Ireland, I mean, it's a very successful, connected um, country. But it's quite local in its thinking. And... It's all about your, 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 your local network. Mm. And I found that actually I didn't have as strong a local network as I thought I had because I've been away so long. Yeah. And so I joined every networking organization I could think of. I drank four, cups, four coffees a day 
<laughs> you know, I bought three lunches a day. You know, I I shook the hands and kissed the babies <laughs> for about six months. And I found that some networking organizations are really, really useful and, and, and um, helpful for me to, to generate business development and business contacts. Yeah. I, I happily name check a couple. I think the Institute yeah. of Directors here in Ireland and, and worldwide is, is superb. Hmm. Um, I, I think that the uh, organizations like the Irish International Business Network, which is, again, a, a worldwide uh, network, is really really helpful, and it also be there have been some other ones too, but I found I found that the way to do the cold contacts wasn't turning up at the corporate headquarters, but do the cold contacts in a networking scenario. Mm. So in 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 in, in like an institute of directors um, meeting or 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 events, mm. I think that's perfectly legitimate. What I did learn from a friend of mine who's an expert in networking is that networking is not about selling. I thought it was. I thought it was about me going and meeting all these people and having my business card and say, hey, Ben, this is what I do. This is what I do. You know, sell, sell, sell. Yeah. In fact, networking is about giving. Networking is about meeting Ben and go, hey, Ben, that's interesting. Tell me about what you do. Oh, that's really good. I could help you. Maybe, you, you know, I might know people who might be interested in talking on your, on your podcast or, or giving mm. you information on such and such. How can I help you? And if and what happens is if you offer help to others, of course they pay it forward and then pay it back to you eventually. And so I learned that the more I didn't sell, the better I was at developing my business context. I love that. And it paid off, obviously. And it paid off. So that 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 was needed, I think. And and then I did have some contacts. And then of course what you want is you want to deliver quality service and get recommendations and so i'm i'm lucky now that a lot of my business is either repeat business or is oh i heard you did xyz for so and so yeah and can you come and talk to me the other area around business development of course is never be shy to to speak speak at events you know i've i've organized a lot of events in my time and it's always a struggle to get people who are willing to stand up and speak and be, you know, relatively competent at it. Mm. Because public speaking is well known as is the thing that terrifies uh, <laughs> more people than, than anything else. Yeah. But I think if you if you if you're willing to to take a chance and do these things for free, you know, uh, if they're gonna have a wide audience. I did a, a keynote address to 600 people on a women in leadership event a couple of years ago and I was terrified doing it mm. but of course um, a lot of people come to me afterwards and said oh you know that was interesting tell me about your business I think I think you can you, you can do the cold calling through a networking scenario you can then uh, you can do the networking as giving and then you can also do the, the, the speaking and I think most people don't want to do that because they're scared of it but that means there's an opportunity because there's lots of people trying to find good speakers out there definitely that's a good tip and one thing i've done in my time is whenever i've given a speech i prefer to write things out so i end up having quite a lot of notes if you then take away those notes from a great speech but it's finished you've then suddenly got yourself a, a report an ebook seven blog posts a bunch of linkedin posts whatever so 
you can actually uh, multiply your efforts there in very simple ways, but definitely getting up there in front of people is a great way. You mentioned about people referring you in and hearing about what you did. So my final question is, if people listening either want to work with you or refer business to you or connect in some way, what's the best way? What should the, who, what type of businesses should they be referring to you and where and what should they do next? Well, as I said, I mean, I work in all, all the sectors, you know, in healthcare, in financial services, in IT, in, in media, in construction, in, in um, the regulator in, in the UK, in Ireland, and so on, in, in tobacco, in gambling. You know, I, I actually um, don't have any crowns about any company I work with because I think what I do is trying to help that company and the people in it. Sure. So uh, there's no restrictions. Any any business, uh, have a look at my um, my website, which is www massive.ie which is m-a-s-f.ie or drop me an email which is simply mark m-a-r-k at massive.ie and I definitely um, have a a quick quick conversation Um, because everyone as I said these are universal um, ideas and, and, and best practices around how people can communicate and work together and how there is a strong business case behind this as well as the societal pushes yeah so every organization is going to benefit from this i completely agree mark this has been absolutely fascinating and i think people listening have got so many tips and ideas and uh, you've given a fresh approach so thank you very much for your time today my pleasure ben thanks a lot thanks for joining us today on a better hr business the podcast that explores the world of hr consulting and hr tech businesses for show notes and downloads go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.